Uh, welcome to All About Literacy. We've invited Julia Reynolds to this podcast episode to speak with us about disciplinary literacy with secondary teachers and adolescents. Julia is an assistant superintendent for curriculum and instruction at Allendale Public Schools. Previously, she was an associate professor of education at Aquinas College, the director of curriculum and school improvement in Northview Public Schools. She worked in English language arts curriculum development in Grand Rapids Public Schools in Savannah Chatham County in Georgia. She worked as a classroom teacher in Wyoming Public Schools and Forest Hill Public Schools, and as an adjunct instructor at several colleges and universities. Julia has a BA in criminology and law studies from Marquette University, a BA in English and reading, and a master's of arts in teaching from Aquinas College, an ed specialist in educational administration, and a PhD in teacher education and literacy from Michigan State University. She has served as president of the Michigan Council of Teachers of English and the Michigan Reading Association. She has served on the board of directors for the International Literacy Association, written or co-written articles and book chapters on best practices in literacy instruction, and done extensive literacy consulting in the region. So for the next 20 minutes or so, we're going to ask you some questions and we'll take turns. How does that sound? That sounds great. Awesome. Let's start by hearing some of your story. You've been a classroom teacher, college professor, literacy consultant, assistant superintendent. What are some of the highlights along? I, yeah, it, certainly it's interesting now finishing my 25th year in education to think about the different experiences that I've had and really a, a, a big highlight I think that has been throughout my career is always thinking about what can I do to serve and support? And whether that is as a classroom teacher working with students, as a college professor working with college students, with as an assistant superintendent supporting principals, supporting teachers, there's just, it's always about what can I do to be an asset and help people with what they're doing so they can be the best they can be. And so that's really a big piece that has served me. I think another thing that I think since I was a child that has served me well is I'm just a lifelong learner, always asking questions, always wanting to find out more. I think that's why I have so many degrees and gone to school for so long because I just kept asking questions and wanting to know more. No matter what role I've been in, I've really enjoyed, I've really enjoyed just learning and, and continuing to do that. I'd say some big highlights that I've done, I, I, I'd say one is just getting involved with professional organizations. That's been a huge thing for me as a member of a professional organization, but then also within leadership, being a regional representative or being a conference chair or being the president, because I've been the president of um, two state organizations, but that networking and support that you get from um, being with like-minded colleagues across the state, across the nation, across the world, who can really help push you to be better and then also just really help you think about things. And so that's a huge piece. I'd say another highlight that I love is that I've always just had such a passion for students and really helping just supporting students in any way that I can. And one fun thing I did a couple of years ago when I was in Northview as the curriculum director there, I went to the superintendent and said, I'm the most professionally developed person in the district because I go to everything the teachers are doing and I sit with them and learn with them, but then I'm not with kids. And I said, that just feels weird to me and not right. So he said, let's figure out a plan what we can do. I ended up that fall teaching a ninth grade English class the first hour of the day. So my office 
where that was located was right next to Northview High School. So I went over there first hour. And what had happened, the middle school had chosen from the eighth grade class, a group of students, about 25 of them who really were struggling with their literacy development, but weren't necessarily students who were special ed or um, ELL. They said that these are kids who get to the high school and have no support. There's no reading class. There's no anything. So who can we do for students who just won't have any other way to navigate? And so they were all in the class. And I call that English 9 on steroids because it was full on, like just immersed in reading and writing and speaking and thinking. And it was just such a fabulous experience. And the students didn't know that they were chosen to be in this class necessarily for a reason. And they just beyond our expectations of just how well they performed, how well they grew. It was just, it was amazing. And I still, to this day, stay in touch with some of them and they've all graduated from college or are off in their work lives or whatever they're doing. And they're just They've become such successful adults, and it was just really exciting for me to be able to have played a role in. So, Julia, I remember you talking about this a number of years ago when we met, and you were you were explaining how you were going to divide that time to do because usually administrators aren't te- they're they're former teachers, but they don't currently teach and do administrative work at the same time. So, given that experience and just the sounds like the powerful opportunities for learning and teaching that existed. What's one thing you wish more secondary teachers across all the content areas knew about supporting adolescents' literacy development? I would say beyond just literacy development, but in general, I would say that the number one thing is that relationships matter. Knowing students, getting to beyond the content, how are they performing in math class, but how, who are they as people and how can you really um, build that relationship with them? Because if that time is spent, you can do so much more with students if you've taken that time to build that relationship. But then I would say with literacy development, it, it's so much of it is it's figuring out where are kids right now, starting where they are and working from there, tapping into their interests. What do they want to read about, write about, speak about, create, and finding ways to make that happen. And that could be in all content areas. It, I think that I mean, in so many years of me doing this, it used to be content area reading and then content area literacy. And then now it's much more of a disciplinary literacy lens. That's so critical because how can the biology teacher really show how do you read in a biology class? How do you think in biology? What kind of real writing happens in biology? And then really tapping into students' interests and seeing how that can match. I think that's a huge piece that the Disciplinary Literacy Task Force in Michigan has done quite an amazing job of trying to provide resources for teachers to help them know how to do that. And that's huge. And I just wish more secondary teachers would dig into that work. I know they're still continuing to roll it out and, and offering professional development, but I think that's a, that's a huge piece that can help move this forward. Yeah, thanks to the Erica and I talk a lot about that initiative in our classes with our students, as well as just how the field itself has changed over the years mm-hmm. from okay. a very sort of content area reading focus mm-hmm. now to a much more expansive understanding of literacy, multi-literacies, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I love in your first comments, Julia, talking about serving and supporting students and teachers. And I love that asset-based approach. It's not you coming in and telling them what they need to know, but it's you meeting them wherever they're at and serving and supporting. I love that language. Thank you for that. And as I think about that, and as I think about 
the ways that you've walked alongside of teachers um, who are trying to better understand and better support their students' literacies. In terms of meeting teachers where they're at, this is a negative way to frame it, but what are some misconceptions or how do you step in and walk alongside of teachers in supporting their understandings of literacy? Can you unpack that a little bit for us? Where have sure. you met teachers where they're at and then walked alongside of them mm-hmm. as you bring them to this understanding of, for example, <clears throat> the biology teacher that, that you mentioned earlier? There is such a misconception that if a student is, I'd say, disengaged as their head down or isn't really paying attention that they're not bright and capable and, you know, able to do the work. And that I think that's a huge thing is really thinking about not judging from what behaviors you're seeing necessarily or what the student is doing, but really figuring out what's going on with that student. And that goes back to what I said about relationships and really getting to know kids. That's, that's a huge piece. I think there's also this sense that if students are struggling, especially when they get to the upper grades and maybe they don't have support like that group of ninth graders I worked with, that it's that they're doomed for a a less than experience that they'll have. And that's such a misconception because kids, once you tap into interest and you tap into uh, really getting to know them, you kids just tremendously with with what they're able to do and what they want to do. And so um, really just not giving up and not just having a, it's a growth mindset. It's a, yes, this is hard, but we do hard things. And how do we do hard things? And really working through that, that's a huge piece for teachers focus on. And I've worked with teachers on that and for years and just really tried to reach their hearts about kids more than their, just what their content is, but saying, let's think about why you became a teacher and why do you do this work? And why do you come every day? And I think that has really helped in a lot of ways. I think also just that very narrow misconception that literacy means, because then there's, there's lots of work out there that, well, I'm not a reading teacher because I'm an algebra teacher or a phys ed teacher or whatever. And it's, no literacy, the expanse of what that means is, is huge and really helping people to really unpack that and understand what is literacy and what are the different ways that all the different literacies that are there and that we don't even know yet. <laughs> when I remember years ago in graduate school, they were talking about the new literacies and it was using technology, which I have to laugh now. Yeah, it's not new anymore. Thinking about just all the ways though that this things can be represented and students can show the work that they do or they can interact. And that I think that just helping to expand teachers' knowledge of that can help with those misconceptions. So as you think about, Julia, the, the idea that reading is it's literacy is not just reading, right? You, this idea of expansive and the concepts of new literacy. So we have technological literacy and financial literacy. And there's things when we think about literacy that content area teachers can use in their own classes, in their own content areas. Can you share a success story that you that comes to mind when you think about having worked with teachers and how you've partnered with them and seen their own growth and their students? There's two that come to mind with that, two teachers. One, she's a high school social studies teacher, and um, her name is Jackie Dorsey. She's fabulous, and she's in Wyoming public schools. And she, she's one that years ago we were working together as we were, I was teaching these content reading and content literacy courses, and she helped me with some of the work we were doing in the classes, and she taught a couple sections at different times. But it, what was really exciting with her is what she did was go back to her classroom and then try things out with students and really had such such a great 
experience and then being able to come back and talk about this is really this is what like the book said it would work but with kids this is really what it looks like and really building up both of our knowledge about that and what that looks like and I was able to go to her classroom and I remember doing some videos of things and just watching the way that kids were interacting and she just was so cognizant just this expansive definition of literacy and really just had authentic reading and writing and speaking practices going on in her classroom. So it was, and it still is, she's still teaching. It's such a fabulous um, experience in there for kids and they um, just love that her classes. So that's been really neat. Then another one I can think of, Jim, Jim Haveman, who's a science teacher at Northview High School. He's one specifically with literacy. We, when I was there, we worked quite a bit on this idea of formative assessment And he was a, what we called like an assessment coach. So he was a full-time teacher, but he also helped some of his colleagues assessment practices. And we were really thinking about this whole idea of checking for understanding. And and do you know that, how do you know students know? And then what do you do if they don't know? And what, you know, so that whole idea. And he did so much early on with this idea of learning targets and success criteria and making it very clear, this whole idea of teacher clarity, like, this is what we're working on. This is how you can measure your own success. Did so much with this idea of coined the term practice without penalty. So students being able to take risks and try things. And he's teaching like upper level biology and chemistry and AP courses and kids taking risks and trying things because he said, that's not part of the grade book. Don't worry about it because of a grade. We're doing this for learning. And if it doesn't work well, then let's figure out what you need to do so that you can be successful with that. And that idea of really being clear in what you're doing with students and, and, and involving them in the learning process um, is, is just, I always, I talk about him quite a bit because it's just probably the, one of the most exceptional examples I've seen of somebody really doing this and having tremendous success with kids. Those are great stories, Julia. Thank you for that. And I, as we work with our pre-service teachers around formative assessment and checking for understanding, with this experience, and a notion of literacy gives us all of these other ways to look at student understanding, right? It isn't just what they're able to read or I mean, how can we include writing across the content areas and how do we identify what it is that success is. What you mentioned is really great. Julia, if you were to say something to beginning teachers, you've been in the field for a long time. You've been involved in leadership levels. And I feel like this whole conversation is riddled with advice that you have <laughs> great insights for beginning teachers, but What would you say to pre-service teachers, beginning teachers right now, as they are on the cusp of starting their careers or have started their careers, what what advice would you have? I would say, obviously, beyond the the challenges we all have dealing with a pandemic and just some of the things that have been extremely hard for everyone, I would say just in general for a a teaching career, the, the big thing is very quickly figure out where your support networks are, figure out who and where you're going to get support. And that might be a colleague in the building with you. It might not. It might be a friend who you went to school with to become teachers and they're teaching two districts over, but you can, I had a friend for a long time. We were in different districts and we planned together all the time. And so, yeah, having that kind of, who are the people that will support you, but then also figuring out like, how else can you get support right now? Social media, that wasn't around when I started. Now you can go to Twitter and you can get like really quick, excellent PD and learning with your cup of coffee while you're in, just get ready because you can 
learned so much just from people sharing, here's a great article or here's an idea. So figuring out who are like the people or the groups you want to follow on social media that can help um, enhance your learning and then support what you're doing. And then I'd say the other thing that has been so instrumental for me is getting involved in professional organizations. And so figuring out organization makes the most sense for you. It might be a content organization. It might be more of a teaching and learning organization, a technology organization. There's, there's several different options. Certainly I've been members and I'm a current member of many of those across many spectrums, but trying to think about where could you get involved in that? And so expanding that networking. And so beyond the powerful professional learning you can get from a professional organization, it's also just knowing who else is out there doing this work. And so then maybe that's someone you want to follow on social media or somebody you want to connect with. So I'd say those are the big thing. And then probably just in general, take care of yourself. That's most important. Don't forget that balance between work and life that you need to turn it off and go home and just be and not have to always feel like you have to be a teacher and on and doing these things. That's a, that's a huge piece that I haven't always taken that advice myself as I've been going to school and doing all these things for all these years. But as I've done this a while, it's I, I treasure that time more than anything, just and remind myself all the time that it is okay to uh, just sit outside and not be doing anything, <laughs> you know, not be having my phone, my laptop, this, just be. And so that's another big thing is to Julie, I love how those three that you've just mentioned are so integrated because sometimes I think the support that we need as teachers isn't always resources for a new lesson, but it's friends who can speak into your life, colleagues who can say, you need to take a break right now. And sometimes it's our professional organization who is are, are having these conversations about how do we avoid burnout or how do we fulfill our own lives as readers or as thinkers. And so I love how integrated each of those three pieces of advice are for you. And just a quick follow-up question, Julie. I've heard this from some of my students. Some of them are a bit intimidated in how do I even start participating in a professional organization? Do you have any sort of suggestions for how to start dabbling into it? And I know you've mentioned following on Twitter, but what are some steps that you would encourage beginning teachers who've never been involved in a professional organization to take? Because sometimes I think it can be overwhelming if you go to the website and you see all the things that a professional organization offers or does. What are more tangible, easy steps for someone to take as they come in as a novice into this professional? Yeah, certainly. Professional organizations, pretty much all of them have some sort of publications or newsletters, journals, whatever it is, blogs, whatever it is, but you can, many of those are accessible on the website. So that's one thing just easily that you can do that on your own time. Just click around, see the kinds of messaging they have, the kind of publications they put out, see if there's things you can read about the messaging that the organization. Another thing to look for is any of the events that the organizations put on. One thing COVID really helped us with how to take advantage of virtual offerings. And so there's been some really fabulous virtual offerings that you can do right from home in your pajamas that you can log on and hear a wonderful speaker or be in a group chat with a group of people. So that's one thing. Or if you are able to go to a conference or a workshop or something that the professional organization has put on, that's another way to really just get started. And then you start to see how this professional organization really enhances what you do, but then also how you feel when you're there 
and the people you're able to meet because that networking is probably, you know, one of the biggest things you can get out of it is you start to know other people who are in the field with you. So I'd say that those are some, you know, quick ways that and easy ways that people could get started with that. And it's also, there's a cost to being in a professional organization. So you also want to just make sure like it's serve your needs, you know, that you're going to get something out of it. So it's really great to be able to check those kind of things out and figure out if this is something that you want to continue with. And hopefully you will, because it's, it's been something I've really enjoyed in my so Julia, we have a tradition on our podcast. We like to ask one final question and it's a fun one. And, but before we do that, I want to just circle back to something that you had said and Deb had said, and I wrote it down in my notes. It sounds like what you're encouraging teachers to do and whether they're experienced or not is to find their people. So to find whether that's Twitter or Instagram or professional organizations or the colleagues down the hall or, you know, across the state or across the world, but it sounds like we shouldn't be going it alone. And I would echo that as well. My own experiences having about 25 years in as well, that I've, this is, it can be a lonely profession and it shouldn't be and that you want to find people. So I really appreciate that. So the fun question. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So in our literacy courses, we talk with students about the importance of acknowledging, affirming, and drawing on people's out of school literacy practices. So for example, those hobbies or sports or cultural, religious, or ethnic groups or activities that they participate in and enjoy. So for you, what is one, one out of school literacy practice that you, I was like, what I can think of that I do right now that I don't know, enjoy is maybe not the right word, but it's really good for me. And when I'm done, I like it a lot is running. I, I'd say I'm a jogger. I'm not a runner, but I started running, jogging probably seven or eight years ago. And I had never done that in my life. I was a swimmer in high school. I just had never been someone who ran. And so I started doing that. And that has a, a whole new world for me. Not understanding me talk about network and support. There are groups of people who run together and support each other. And they have Facebook pages and different things that happen. And then just also knowing, learning all the things that which is, would be considered like a literacy practice, like understanding you know, the equipment you need to wear and the, what pacing and timing and those kind of things mean, the stretches you need to do the food you need to eat, all of those kinds of things have um, been huge in just helping me understand more about what this means to be part of this community um, that I hadn't been before. Just like, I, I enjoyed that part of it. It's hard work to do the, the actual physical um, activity, but it's been great. And whether I, I, when I moved to Georgia for a couple, a couple of years, it was one of the, I joined a running group because I knew like that was a way I could meet people who would, you know, help me just build community within that place. And so, yeah, that's a really just fun one that I do. I ran two miles this morning. So <laughs> I think that's an awesome example, Julia. And I think it also can connects well with your comments about the importance of self-care being healthy and also finding community that can speak into, even if it's not a professional community, they're also a support group and can speak into our lives in in, in that way as well. So thanks for that great example. Julia, thanks for joining us for today's episode. For those of you listening in, thank you for joining us as well. Be sure to follow All About Literacy on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. We are Deb Van Dynen and Erica Hamilton wishing you beautiful adventures ahead as we keep learning all about literacy.